Alright everyone, welcome to episode number 6 of Life Over Speech. I am Julia. I'm Lena. I'm Chloe. And today we are very excited because we have a special guest. I am pointing to her as like you guys can see her, but you can't. She is our one of our very favorite professors and we decided to interview her because well, let's just introduce her. <laughs> yeah. um, we have today on the show Dr. Aliette Alfano. She is a speech-language pathologist. She is a certified auditory-verbal therapy specialist. <laughs> auditory-verbal therapist. <laughs> wow. Auditory-verbal therapist. Um, so she is the president of the Alfano Center, meaning that she owns the Alfano Center. It is a pediatric clinic. She is also the visiting assistant professor at Florida International University in the Department of Communication, Sciences, and Disorders. Dr. Alfano has been working with families and their children with hearing loss as a listening and spoken language specialist and teaches speech and language pathology students in the areas of oral rehabilitation, diagnostics, language development, and anatomy and physiology. It's a full plate. Mm. Yes, so she does it all. <laughs> so you guys can see why we decided to bring her on the show. Yeah, it's <laughs> superwoman of the SLP world. She also has a child. <laughs> she has Just a... one. There wasn't time for more. Yes. And she does kickboxing on the side. Ooh. That wow. Yeah. And she doesn't drink coffee. <gasps> no. Okay, that's huge. <laughs> that's yeah, big. no. How, that's the first question. How did you survive? All Coffee of that is coming. gross. It tastes terrible. You're gonna offend a lot of our listeners. No, it's okay. They're not you. Listen, I don't need to offend. I find it gross. You can like your coffee. Okay. Cool. I don't stop people from drinking <laughs> coffee. Open your minds. Yeah, <laughs> tea is the way to be. No, tea doesn't have any caffeine. Um, but it gets you through. I feel like that's kind of what helps you know. Tea. A little bit. You, you, it's something to I have tea like to. once a month. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I thought you were like more into it. Yeah, it depends. Yeah, like I go in thing. phases when I remember, but see, I don't have time to drink tea either sometimes. You don't have time. Oh, so. <laughs> so you don't need anything to wake you up in the morning? No, I just allow myself a long time to wake up. That's so good. what time do you Wait, set what your alarm? So it means that, for example, my alarm goes off at 630 in the morning. If things have to happen really quick, I just get up mm-hmm. and start you know, I take my shower, pull down my hair and all those things. That whole process eventually wakes me up. If I can snooze a little bit, I do. But How many alarm, times? Uh, <laughs> I'd say anywhere between one and six. Oh my God. But the six is an extreme. That's an outlier. Okay. I'd say it probably averages two or three. So the standard deviation is okay. Right. Exactly. All right, and you have a kid too, so yes. I feel like that helps. It's kind of like, how oh, I have a child? responsibility. <laughs> she, she's ten. She's ten. Yes. So she is a full-on child right now. Like she requires. She's a total real person. <laughs> <laughs> With homework and play dates and friends, and I can say she has the attitude of four grown women. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Four grown women. That's a lot. <laughs> All right. So, first question. <clears throat> Well, she owns her own business. Yes. And I'm very interested in opening up my own practice, my own practice one day. And I want to know, like, did you always know that you wanted your own business? Mm, I did. Okay. Did you always know that you wanted your PhD? Um, I didn't know when I started my master's that I did. But I think while I was in it, finishing it, and definitely shortly after I graduated, I knew that that's what I wanted to do. How, how did you they like, come about like, oh, I want to do this. I'm going to apply and I'm going to get my doctorate. In... Well, when I was in my master's program, we had a lot of crossover with some of the PhD students. Um, there's a program that was started 
with it was actually combined with our master's group in one of our classes as well as the PhD the doc students to put together this program that they had with one of our one of my favorite professors who works a lot with kids with autism so she was putting this program together literally from the ground up like we helped her put together the first room um where it was all going to happen where the parents were going to come in and all those things and that was that was in 1996 97 and I actually went to see her now in 2018 just a few months ago um in March and she actually has a whole building now just for that mm. program that's wow. awesome. it's pretty it's pretty awesome but but even yeah. before then you already knew that you wanted to work with the deaf people so auditory robotherapy is a type of therapy so it would fall under what we would normally consider at least in the speech world um oral rehab so in auditory verbal therapy, it's, it's not just a therapy, but it's really a philosophy about what, we would ex- what our expectations are for, these, for children with hearing loss and what we want for them to do with their speaking language. So if a child is pursuing the route of auditory verbal therapy, they're expected to be um, aided well, so cochlear implants or hearing aids as needed so that they can hear speech within the regular range, as well as um, expecting to have um, with that listening, language outcomes, oral language outcomes. So any kid with um, auditory verbal therapy or AVT, as we call it, would be expected to come to therapy um, with their parents, with their family, because really the families are the driving force be- behind the kid's ability to communicate, you know, all day, all week long. Um, and that that's basically what the goal of that is. So it's a type of therapy, but it's really the philosophy of early identification, um, early um, starts to therapy, um, mainstream settings where possible, um, using your listening in every scenario that you can so that you can then access hearing in as many different situations. You know, it's funny, we just had a test and we weren't able to explain that. <laughs> well, it's interesting that you say that because oh in that chapter, in that PowerPoint, I just talked a little bit about that, but we're actually going to have a full lecture on AVT in a couple of weeks. Oh, thank God. Yeah. I was like, man, we're doing something wrong. <laughs> so No, I just haven't given you the full thing yet. Okay, so then how did you get into AVT? Well, um, it's kind of morphed over the years. Um, it started when I was 15. I was interested in taking a sign language class, so I started taking night classes in sign language. And I met a girl who was in that um, class with me. I was, I think, a sophomore in high school, and she was a senior. And she was doing a work study through her um, high school at the Debbie School, which is downtown. And um, she told me that she was working there and it, she was working with kids. And it, to me, it sounded just really interesting. So I asked if I could tag along one day. And she asked and they said it was fine. So I showed up, 15 years old, um, downtown at the Debbie School. And I met um, the therapist there, the different teachers and I kind of started to see what they were doing. The girl that I was um, with, the girl who took me there, was studying to be um, a teacher of the deaf in special education. But while I was there, there were teachers of the deaf in the classrooms, but I also met the speech pathologist and the audiologist. And I was really intrigued by that. Yes. And I loved working with the kids and practicing my sign language. So there was one woman in particular, her name is Lynn Mishko. And um, she was just a couple years out of her master's. She's um, a dual certified speech pathologist and audiologist. And I asked her, I'm like, what 
what is this thing that you do? And she said, well, I'm an audiologist. And she explained what that is. And then she said, I'm also a speech pathologist. <gasps> really? Yeah. I just said she's still certified. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> so, and I said, what is speech language pathology? And she explained. And I was like, that's what you're doing. And I'm like, okay, I need to find out where I can study to do that. Because that's what I want to do. I want to be a speech pathologist. And I want to work with deaf kids. So, so you then that, that night that, you were like, that's wanna... it. Yeah. So, so yeah, it was pretty interesting. So I kept taking my sign language classes because back then the Debbie school was um, a TC program, total communication. Okay, side note, uh, the Debbie school is a school for deaf children. Correct. Here in Miami. Here in Miami. Okay. Yep. It is a joint effort between the Dade County Public Schools and the University of Miami. And it's a a special type Mm -hmm. of program that they have. So, um, so yeah, right then and there, I was like, I'm going to be a speech pathologist. I'm going to work with kids with hearing loss. So I researched it. I found Florida State had a good program. Our program here at FIU didn't exist. (laughs) And so I actually went to go visit a couple years later this same girl who took me to go um, visit at the Debbie School. She was, uh, what was she, maybe a freshman or a sophomore? I forget what it was. But I went to, to visit and she let me stay in her dorm with her and I got to see the campus. And I fell in love, and I'm like, I'm going to FSU, I'm going to mm-hmm. study to be a speech pathologist, and I'm going to work with deaf kids. Man, this girl really helped you out. Yeah, I failed to mention that um, when I was at the Debbie school that day, and I met Lynn, I asked them, I asked the school if I could stay and volunteer. So, as a sophomore turning into junior, I went every Tuesday, Thursday, and spent the whole day hanging out with the kids in the classroom, doing whatever the teachers needed. It's interesting because... I was the only person who spoke Spanish there. Mm-hmm. All the teachers, all the therapists were English only, but a lot of the kids were coming from immigrant families yeah. where they spoke Spanish. So a lot of times they would have me at the end of the day call parents. They're like, will you call so-and-so's mom and be like, this is happening or there's this meeting coming or whatever. And so I was kind of the, the interpreter for things for some of those kids. So because of... This girl who brought me there because of how awesome the program was, I said, that's what I'm going to do. I went to FSU. I did my bachelor's there and my master's in speech pathology. And then when I graduated, I moved back here to Miami. And I started working in the public schools. And I didn't have any kids with hearing loss. And you didn't like it? I didn't like it at all. Yeah, I was very, very sad. I have worked and I like it. You know, there were certain things about it I liked, but certain things that I felt personally yeah that after six years of college having eight kids in a group Mm -hmm. where those eight kids had eight different therapy goals Mm -hmm. and I had 30 minutes Mm -hmm. to work with eight kids on eight different therapy goals I kind of felt like I wasn't getting anywhere right and I was very frustrated Mm -hmm. I also didn't have any kids with hearing loss Mm -hmm. they were trying my boss in the schools was trying to get me into one of the programs but it was had their therapist there. Um, after my second year, I was already starting to look for PhD programs because I knew I wanted to do that. I also was, um, I got burnt out. I was like, I don't want to see 120 kids yeah. in my caseload. This is not what I want to do. I don't feel like I'm making a difference. Right. And so um, right at that point, when I was giving my notice, my boss was like, hold on, I have a school, one of the deaf schools that I can put you in. I was like, it's too late. Yeah. I can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, that second year that I was working in the school system, I started working at a private practice in the evenings, one that looks similar to mine now, in the evenings and on Saturdays. And they kept asking me to come full time. 
And I kind of hemmed and hawed for a while because the benefits are good in the school system and mm-hmm. the hours are nice and, you know, that kind of thing. But I was not fulfilled. Right. So um, I finally made the switch. So that third year out, I did not go back to the school system. I went full time at the private practice and I started presenting um, at Flasha and Asha mm-hmm. at the bilingual symposium. Already that soon after? Yeah. Well, I was mentored by really good people that were awesome. that have been doing this. And so I started getting kids there who were 10, 12, 14 who were signing. And I was like, finally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I found my population's here. Right. And so they started basically sending me all the kids who were signing. And I was extremely happy. Mm-hmm. Very happy. But more often than not these kids had Hispanic parents Mm -hmm. and the Hispanic parents would bring me their child and they would tell me in Spanish, could you tell my child in sign language this, that, and the other? And I would then have to turn to their child and say, your mom or dad just said this, that, or the other. And then the child would say, tell my dad or my mom this and the other. And I would tell the parent that in Spanish. And all along I'm thinking, okay, they see me once a week for an hour. How do they communicate? the rest of the time like how is this possible and so really that's when I was like okay I need to get a PhD and I need to figure out how these people communicate at home yeah so I started looking for PhD programs I started really building my ASL skills also um, building my caseload really getting into the deaf community and then all of a sudden I had a kid with a cochlear implant show up Mm. and I was like oh what do I do with this? <laughs> what is a cochlear implant? How interesting. And so then I had a couple kids with cochlear implants and a whole lot of kids who signed. And it kind of started to morph from there. Um, and then I found a PhD program for me. Mm-hmm. Which is? It was at the University of Miami. And it was actually in teaching and learning. So I was in the special ed department. Um, I was interested in that program because their big focus was on research and educational settings. Mm-hmm. So while it wasn't a speech pathology PhD, in my mind, I'm like, I am a speech pathologist. I want to learn how to do research with kids. So really, it doesn't necessarily have to be a speech pathology yes. program. Can we highlight that? Because I did not know that at all. Yeah, I, I didn't thought, know that. Yeah. I thought in order to be, to have your doctorate and be a speech pathologist, <clears throat> you needed to do something related, like research related a, to speech pathology, but you don't. Related, yes. It, well, related. Yeah, it's but. in a related field. But not directly, like, speech pathology. Right. Well, hers is in, uh, our, well, some of our professors here aren't in speech pathology either, or PhD necessarily. Exactly. Some have EDD, some have... Linguistics. SLPD, there's linguistics, there's psychologists, True. so it's a combination of things. Is it, like, compare it all to being an SLP and an audiologist, or that's, like, two different... Uh, no, not necessarily. Those are, it's, that's definitely two specific right. fields, but, like, we have... Our professor who's an audiologist who teaches the audiology classes Mm -hmm. but for example here in this program we don't necessarily have a speech pathology PhD but it's something related Mm -hmm. so education is obviously related Um, my my goal was to learn how to do research with children Mm -hmm. right and specifically children with hearing loss that's funny that you say that because it's one of the first questions that they asked me when I went to interview for the PhD so I walk in and there's 12 professors sitting at a huge table. Oh and this me. is not intimidating, guys. <laughs> no, it wasn't intimidating at all. <laughs> is that I, part of the, of the application process? Yes, absolutely. 
Okay. So I'd made it to the interview process, and I was, what, four years out? And here I am with 12 professors at UM, and I was like, hello, <laughs> with like my resumes, <laughs> passing them out. <laughs> and the very first question that the first man asked me, he's like, why do you want to be here if you're a speech pathologist and want to work with deaf kids? So you had your answer ready. Well, I didn't know that was going to be a question, <laughs> but the answer was, I know how to work with kids with hearing loss. I know how to be a speech pathologist. I don't know how to do research with them, and that's what you're going to teach me. Nice. Ooh. I feel like it really helps that you have that like attitude yeah. that's like I'm gonna get what I want and I'm gonna do it and it's gonna and happen. Yeah, the comebacks are, are always strong, your comebacks. Okay, that's a different story. <laughs> <laughs> On a different note. Um Well, you know, I, I didn't say, you know, yeah angrily, but I was like No, I wanna learn how to do research helps. for these kids. Yeah, you're special ed need. Mm-hmm. And they agreed. And then they let me in. And the rest is history. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it, what's interesting is that most people have an idea. Well, some people go into their PhD not knowing what they want to study. Mm-hmm. Just, okay, I want a PhD or, you know, speech or yeah. whatever. But I'm like, I want to know how these Hispanic kids who sign, who have parents who don't speak English, how do they communicate? And I went in asking those questions. And they're like, you might not learn that answer yet. But, you know, it's, that's you build your career around that. Yeah. Um, and then I did my dissertation and my dissertation is exactly that she's going to wrap her dissertation i I (laughs) wrap my dissertation Uh and it is communication and culture implications for hispanic mothers with deaf children guys i wish you could see it's 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 beautiful book. black book so what words in it (laughs) lots of words (laughs) what's exciting to me is that really that's what i wanted to learn and that's what i did um, so it actually took me four months longer than I wanted to, like an extra semester. Okay, and how long did it take you? Four and a half years. Okay. Wow. So instead of graduating in four, I had another semester. Um, but I got to find out how they communicate at home. And you know what the sad part is? The answer is that they don't really communicate at home. I kind of figured yeah, that's where yeah. it's going. But I got to actually see how they communicate at home. So there's the dissertation. You'll be happy to learn that I just got published a shorter article of that. So if you want to see a smaller version, it is now Communication Disorders Quarterly. Maybe I can post it for our listeners. All right. Yeah. Definitely. Um, okay, so does a PhD program always take four and a half years? No. It could take eight. <laughs> <laughs> it could take two. Uh, no. no. PhD, no. no. Okay. I would say no. Um, a PhD program is a research intensive program. It's set to um, make people researchers. Okay. Okay. So that's different than say an SLPD program or a specialist or things like that. PhD means we're making you researchers. Mm-hmm. So I would say for the most part, maybe you'll find a program that can get you out in three years, but I'd say you're probably looking at a minimum of four. Okay. So, but as long as it takes you as long as it takes you to finish your dissertation. Correct. Okay. So I had three years of coursework before we did our, quali- our qualifying exams. And after you pass your quals, then you can um, start doing your um, research study. Okay. Speaking of Dr. Edson, I don't know if you feel comfortable going down this route, but it just popped into my head because I feel like we've kind of in class touched on the topic that we may be going down the same path that physical therapy and OT may be going down. Um, like what's your take? Like do you, 
you're more in the ASHA world. You you mean my take on whether the SLPD will be the new yes. entry level? Yes. Um, I don't know. It's interesting. In my time as a, as a student, and now, you know, I started as a student in 1994. Mm-hmm. I graduated as a in my master's bachelor's, bachelor's program mm-hmm. because my undergrad was in speech pathology mm-hmm. and those programs have i think they've changed whether we used to like help a master's student in the clinic and we used to see patients and do a lot more um we used to have patients the first semester right away um and i don't necessarily see that happening anymore um i think that gets kind of merging where before it was more intensive in the under in the undergraduate level and maybe that's just my perception no, I only I have a I few programs you. yeah so it's just I think that where some programs are kind of shifting to give you a lot more a heavier loads and more breadth of knowledge in the master's level and beyond I there. remember the chair of our program was actually talking about mm-hmm. that that she thinks it's going to change in the coming mm-hmm. years yeah it, it probably is PT already did it OT has been approved and it's on their way. In my lifetime as a professional, my professional lifetime, when I first started, OT was a bachelor's level program. Mm-hmm. And it switched to master's. And now, so they were behind us as far as switching to master's entry level, but they're ahead of us switching to the to the OTD. So it's just kind of interesting to see those switches. The thing is that the, the more we learn um, in our respective fields, the more there's to teach, there's more areas to specialize. The more research is done, the more, the more research is done. So really, we might need more time for that. Also, I think that with when you're looking like at things about insurance and things like that, sometimes in the medical field, it's they want to see people who are doctors. And I don't know how much that comes into play at the end of the day or not. Mm-hmm. But an SLPD or any variation of a clinical doctorate in speech pathology doesn't train you to be a researcher like a PhD does. Exactly. Yeah. So they're mm-hmm. really two different things. So even if you were, you know, SLPD at the end of your name, you would be doctor or whatever you are, but you wouldn't be right. trained right. to be a professor or researcher. Exactly. Right. Cool. So at, well, along this whole timeline, so you graduated with your master's in SLP from FSU. Correct. And then you, I think you've told us before that you waited five years. So that, by the time I started the program, the PhD program, I had been out for five years. Okay. And you had a kid in that time? No. I'm sorry. I keep calling her a kid. And then you had <laughs> a kid. Okay. I, I graduated my PhD pregnant with her. Okay. And then um, at what point did you open your practice? Uh, the month before I started the PhD program. Wow. Did you yeah. always know that you wanted to? Wait, the month you st- before you started or graduated? Started. started. Yeah. So I knew I wanted a, a, to own a practice. So I had, I spent two years in the school system. Like I said, um, the second year in the school system, I started working part-time at a private practice. Then I went full-time at the private practice. And then I left all that behind. And in July of 2003, <laughs> so next month will be our 15th anniversary, I started the, I opened the office. And in August of that same year, I started the PhD program. How? <laughs> right? Just what, like, slowly? What? Slowly? That sounds the, like it was like, kind of fast. <laughs> well, I, so, okay. Where do you even begin? And, and I, did you feel ready? Like, that's no, my biggest I, yeah, I'm never ready for anything. I don't Nobody's feel ready for ready. this today. Like, <laughs> but I, I just, like, I don't know... I can see myself graduating and being like, 
you need to plan it and you like, need to I like, just, like so, okay. strategize I'm it. Not so if you go to entrepreneurial classes or business building classes, you're supposed to have a business plan and all mm-hmm. these things and I I didn't. Um not I'm not necessarily a by the seat of my pants kind of girl, if you know me, yeah. I, for the most part. By the what in your who? By the seat yeah. of my pants, like just go and do stuff. Oh, mm-hmm. How do you not know any of these idioms? <gasps> no, none of these You know, sayings. I was working with a kid, side note, I was working with a kid the other day, and I said something, and he's like, that's an idiom, and I'm like, what's an idiom? And I googled it really quick, and he's like, you're an adult, how do you not know that? <laughs> he called you out. <laughs> yeah, it was really funny, like, anyways. So normally, I don't just, you know, willy-nilly, do you know this word? <laughs> <laughs> do things, right? I normally plan them. I knew I wanted a private practice. So when I incorporated the business, I started seeing a patient. 80? A. One patient at home, Mm -hmm. right? I was doing some home visits. So I went and then this family, they had two kids and they're like, well, you probably need to see the other one too because they actually both have hearing loss. I'm like, okay. And then they're like, well, but we have friends that need therapy too so the next thing i know i'm building this caseload Mm -hmm. in the evenings after you know i come home from my phd program um but i i started by doing home visits by myself um shortly after that um i started i hired um one of my previous interns actually the last intern that i had because i started picking up some kids that had Medicaid and I didn't have enough time to see mm-hmm. them. So I remember she came on part-time, like two nights a week and Saturdays. And she started seeing kids in the second bedroom of my house, in, mm-hmm. in the spare bedroom. Wow. So you didn't really have like a, an, an, a place? No. Yeah, no, no, like, that's the impression the, I get. Oh, I'm going to... No, no, no. The second bedroom in my house was a speech clinic. Mm-hmm. It was set up like a speech clinic. Mm-hmm. Looks like my office now, actually, but it was mm-hmm. all self-contained. So I would come out on a Saturday morning and there would be parents sitting in my living room, the waiting room. <laughs> there would be cars in my driveway and she would be seeing the kids in that second room. That's so funny. That's so awesome. It was, it's pretty interesting. And then from there, your caseload just continued to grow. So yeah, continued to grow. I was mostly doing home visits. I would see a couple kids at home. I had a few kids. Um, there was a kid that I had seen before in the private practice that had lost insurance and had nowhere to go and that I started seeing. Um, it's an interesting thing um, if you talk about karma. He lost insurance, and so no, he couldn't be seen at the previous place. I said, you know what, I'll see you for free because I like you, and you know, you, you, were, you were my first kid with a cochlear implant from before you got your cochlear implant. So I kept seeing him, um, and about six months later that I was seeing him for free, his Medicaid kicked back in and paid retroactively every single oh, session I'd ever given him. Nice. That's so nice. I had no idea that was going to happen. See, you do nice things and nice things happen to you. And because he had a his doctor, and it was just me, right, and this uh, another therapist in the beginning, um, I would go to the doctor's office and be like, can you sign my, you know, the prescription and, and the plan of care? So I got to know that doctor's office, and my practice, the Medicaid part of my practice, was really referred all by this one physician in the beginning, wow. this one pediatrician. And this other family that I was seeing built up the, the private pace art part of my practice. And the goal was in a year or two to move out of the house and into a, um, a clinic, and it was more like six months. Wow. wow. We moved to our first office in, in the Gables. Yeah, That's awesome. Yeah, I don't. that's what I was thinking. I was like, how do I even start? Do I have to go like run a place? And now I... 
But it makes sense that you build your caseload like that. Bit by bit. Yeah. I did it bit by bit. You know, like I said, I was going to home visits and people were in my living room. And then I hired another woman, um, a deaf woman that I was speaking about in class. And she would bring students and they would take over my dining room table. And then the other girl would be in my living room, in my second bedroom. Um, And I was doing home visits. So we kind of like were building this way. And then we moved to a place that I knew we could afford Mm -hmm. in the Gables. But it's like each time I grew a little bit, I would learn what I had to do business-wise for that. So Mm -hmm. I learned how to start a business. And then I learned how to run my books in um, QuickBooks. Okay, what does it mean? How do you input payments? How do you make an invoice? Okay, fine. Then I learned how to bill Medicaid. Mm -hmm. And then I learned, like, bit by bit. Then I hired a person and I learned what a 1099 was. So everything mm-hmm. kind of just happens when it was bit by bit. Right. To, yeah. You didn't take any like business classes. Mm-hmm. No, when I when I went to hire my first employee, like a W two salaried mm-hmm. employee, um, I I I probably took uh, like a webinar or something that was like do this. Right. <laughs> right. And I asked my 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 CPA like how do I set this up and it was like that for a long time. I paid quarterly taxes and did ran all the W twos and all the ten eighty nines by myself. I'd say I probably did that for about 10 years. But as the business got bigger and bigger and I had more and more therapists, payroll got huge. Everything got so big, I started making mistakes. Mm-hmm. You know, and like my CPA would have to correct it. And he's like, it costs more for me to correct your mistakes than for you to hire right. a company to do this for you. So I was like, okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> so I hired, um, it was, so I guess probably about five years ago, my first, I outsourced the payroll. So I don't do those. Th- we we still do the contractors, but we I don't um we don't do the employees anymore or do the quarterly the every paycheck taxes or the quarterly paperwork or any of those. I know what they are because I did them for ten years, but I don't run them anymore right. or send them. Fantastic. Okay. <laughs> so throughout all of this, do you want to ask a question? I, I am. I'm that. just baffled. Do you um, Lena's so quiet over here. I'm like just. Uh, do you it? understand what she's saying? Like. All these things, I'm like, wait, no. what? Okay, was it hard at any point? Was there any point where you were like, I, I don't do want to do this yeah. anymore? Every day it was hard. Really? Sometimes. So then what, what kept you going? Because I feel like when something gets hard for me, I'm like, well, it's like, that's not happening. <laughs> no, millennials. <laughs> I'm okay, I'm still doing it. Listen, um, I don't know. I mean, I'm not going to say that my whole life. I'm like, failure is not an option. It just, everything seemed hard, but nothing seemed impossible like nothing was impossible um with the business like i said it was bit by bit okay today i need to learn what it is to do a 1099 today i need to learn what an i9 form is today i need to learn Mm -hmm. xyz and so it was always bit by bit yeah so it's you know it 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 wasn't i I didn't walk in and have to figure out how to run a place of 20 people what kept you going though i love it I love it, but I mean, there were nights that I was there till 10 o'clock, often. This was obviously before I had my daughter. Um, You know, a patient won't pay. How do I figure out what collections is like? Um, You know, someone didn't like something. What's that like? Stuff absolutely made me nervous and scared and all kinds of stuff. But I still, the overall joy was much higher, yeah, than than the sucky stuff. How long has it been since that? 15, you said? The business will be 15 years next month. Is it easy now? No. No. I don't think it gets easy. Nothing's easy. Absolutely not. Three years ago, because... So, I know 
one of your questions mm -hmm. was what are the parts of running a business and what's hard and what's not one of the hardest things to do is um insurance and everything that has to do with medicaid right. and how things keep changing um about four years ago there was a huge change in insurance on like the standard of it mm -hmm. so the way that insurance the medicaid was changing was going to be really scary and really tough and at that point i decided for a while to outsource my billing because it was all changing from one one payer to a bunch of hmos it was by far one of the toughest times in my life and in the business mm -hmm. where i almost gave up completely businesses were going out of business left and right because we weren't getting paid for months when was this 2014 not that long ago. July 1st, 2014. I refer to it lovingly, not, as Hurricane Medicaid. Wow. Oh God. Yeah. So businesses were shutting down left and right. Everyone was scrambling. We had to now become providers of all these insurances, but the insurances didn't want to take some of us. And like our patients were being moved all around. It was really scary. Yeah. And for all, I couldn't pay people. And that like hurt my soul. Right that I couldn't pay people and people are like I need to pay my mortgage I'm like I do too yeah. it sounds like and the, there's no money it sounds like the recession it yeah it was terrible and I had people that were like I'm really sorry but I have to quit and I'm gonna go somewhere else I'm like okay and those people oftentimes will call me back and say oh my gosh they're not paying here either I'm like yeah. well it's not like I was holding the money back yeah. it's that it's not coming yeah and the few money the little bit of money that would come in was for the rent <laughs> you know mm -hmm. I'm like if we don't have anywhere to work you know yeah so so there was like six months of really 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 bad times yeah wow. um and I would say that I almost ended up like PTSD like I just <laughs> didn't even want to be at the office yeah it was too much for me mm -hmm. at which point I hired for the first time an office manager that's what I was gonna ask yeah. them but that was my next question could you just hire someone just to take care of all of that for you yeah well you know what there's certain things that I did that are that I wouldn't trust other people to do. That's true. Yeah. I was the most experienced person. Um, you know, I had the relationship with the parents. I knew how to run the business. The employees expected me to be the person doing things. So when I brought someone in, there was kind of pushback. Like. Uh -huh. They kept coming to me for their schedules, and I'm like, it's not me, it's her. Yeah. You know, like, we yeah. we need to understand the shift in things. So there was pushback. And it took me, I would say, a solid year um, to teach her everything that I needed to teach her so that I could step back and let her do it. Mm -hmm. And trust her. Yeah. I not, You know what? I trusted her from the beginning. Yeah, I feel like it also helped that, because I think you've told me that she was your friend before. Yeah, so she's actually my neighbor. Yeah, that. She's my neighbor, and I had met her a couple, like maybe a year before that. We had be started to become really close. We had daughters the same age. She's really smart. She's she funny. She's fluent in French. She, yes, she's a perfect trilingual. She knows even some Russian and some other stuff, like because she's just awesome. Yeah, clearly. She's awesome. She's smart, super smart, and she has an excellent heart. Yeah. And she's trustworthy, and she... It's like there's no I, I I don't even know. I'm like if she wasn't there I don't think I could run the business anymore. Aww. And so like to find an office manager is impossible. It almost came up almost by accident because I was having a lot of stress there at the office. I was just an adjunct here. And I was like, you know, I I think um I might go full time 
at FIU because they've asked me to and I think I need that change right now because it's just been really stressful and I'm like but I can't leave the business and she's like I need a job and then we're like wait a minute (laughs) are we do you do you need to work with me and we're like we can't do that we're friends like that's not gonna happen and then it took about two or three months of us going no 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 no. yeah no 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 (laughs) and then we said you know we're gonna do this and we haven't looked back that's great that's That's awesome. awesome yeah okay so would you recommend what you have done so you teach well that's not the first thing so you okay so you own a practice mm-hmm. you are a professor mm-hmm. you have a child you are a wife you got your phd <laughs> would you recommend that would i recommend doing all the things that i've done yes and do you like what are your tips or like what okay what's your advice like if what you want to do sounds like what i do yes i recommend it if you don't want to work hard and dedicate a whole lot of time, I don't recommend it. Mm-hmm. Okay. If you are not well organized, I don't recommend it. If you don't like to boss people around, uh, wow. I don't recommend it. If you're not good at negotiating conflict in the office place, I don't recommend it. Yeah, because it takes a lot more skill than just... It does. Being See, this was my biggest problem with getting an office manager because I always had lots of secretaries. But they couldn't, like, when there was a big problem between, like, a patient and the parent or the parent was just like mad in the office no one could talk the parent down the way I could they just people didn't have the the skill or I'm not gonna say lack of fear but like the confidence to be like listen and how to talk to them in a in a way to make it okay you know like let's talk this out I'm not gonna come attacking you don't attack me let's de-escalate the situation and finding someone that can do all those things is difficult which is why I'm very happy with who I have at the office right. because she can do those things, you know, um, and some things better than I can. <laughs> and and but she she became me, except she's not the clinician, but she could do everything else. You know, I still do certain things that she doesn't do. I still balance the checkbooks. I still pay all the bills. I still sign the checks. You still teach. I'm talking about in the office. Um, <laughs> no, but I mean, but there's more because right. you have to have all the patience to do that and all the you have to willpower and you have to look. I have had... to take into consideration what you have going on outside, like in right. your own personal life too. If you're not willing to put in a whole lot of time and be in the office sometimes at ten and eleven o'clock at night, no, I don't recommend it. If you are not willing to study twenty four hours a day, seven days a week, yes, including weekends for four and a half years, I don't recommend you getting a PhD. You know what I mean? But it's definitely rewarding. Absolutely. I love what I do. I also love how many different things I do. Yeah. Because... And out of everything that you do, what's your favorite part? That was like my biggest question. My favorite part. I absolutely love teaching. Yeah, you're really good at it too. Thank you. You're welcome. I'm biased. I appreciate that. I do. I really love teaching. I really, truly love... My master's projects, too. Like, I love being able to sit and do our research together. I love interns. I think you guys know that because <laughs> I have you now. I had you before. I didn't have the pleasure. Chloe, <laughs> when are you going to get a job at the office? <laughs> no, I feel like I'm the only one in the class. <laughs> I feel really left out. <laughs> um, those aspects I love. I love seeing my patients. And I, I love watching my students like we work together through it and then I love just stepping back and letting them like I don't know if you yeah. noticed but Monday I was like trying mm-hmm. as much as I could to stay back so I can you know just watch this happen you think I'm I don't, you might not know but I'm always listening you are and I interject 
constantly, even though I'm like seven feet away at my desk. Okay, so <laughs> when I was an intern at your office, you didn't interject that much. Is that because I'm better than Lena? <laughs> I Let me sit back in my But seat. at the end of the at the end, I I mean, starting around now, I shouldn't be interjecting almost at all. But normally, when I'm interjecting, is like I'm laughing about stuff. Like the mom will say something, <laughs> I'm like, they did that too. You know, I like, I'm just I'm still part of the conversation, but I'm not even sitting at the table. So I'm too nosy. But I'm always like, I'm always listening. Yeah, um, you know when, that Vanessa and I would be like, just like, what do we do? What do we do? She goes like, do this, this, and that. I'm like. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> okay, so I from my hearing is excellent. <laughs> so from the sounds of it, you really enjoy teaching. I do. Whether it's in the classroom or whether it's with interns. Absolutely. Whether yeah. it's with uh, it, your manager. You really yeah, <laughs> I do. I enjoy it. I, I do. I'm a very social person. When I first started the business, it was just me. And I got very lonely. And that's mm-hmm. why I was like, I need to hire more people because I don't want to be a speech pathologist in a vacuum. Yeah. And now there's how many of us? A whole lot. There's a lot. Like 20. And we have OT. Oh, yeah. She has. She also has occupational therapy in her clinic now. Mm-hmm. That was, like, what, two years ago? No. No, we've had OT oh, okay. uh, for years. Many, many, many years. What I want to say. Yeah, she has a brother. Same. My, my so. twin brother is a speech-language pathologist. Cool. And then my fiancé is trying to be a physical therapist, and now we just need an OT. Oh, there you go. I love how you're, like, looking over here. You can find yes, one. We have around. a program here. That's interesting. Um, For all the things that I love, you have to really have a good handle on um, insurance. Yeah. It's the thing, for all the things I love, that's the thing I hate the most. Yeah. Because even dealing with the parents and, you know, when people are feeling kind of crazy or whatever. like scary to me too. It is scary, but I've gotten really good at handling it. Mm -hmm. But the, uh, the not knowing... If the another hurricane Medicaid is coming, if, you know what that's like. It's uh, it's 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 nerve wracking, right? And you have to really get in there and learn how to do it. I, the billing company that I hired ended up being terrible, mm-hmm. and my office manager was like, "I bet you I can do this better than them." <laughs> and guess what? She, she can. can. She can. <laughs> she did. She did. I, she can. Yes. I think she's amazing. She is amazing. I see her in action, and I'm like. Yeah. I don't know if I want to be like you or like her. <laughs> <laughs> well, she always says, she's like, I should have been a psychologist or a lawyer. I'm like, she's all those things yeah. all in one. <laughs> so, but you said from the very beginning you knew you wanted to have your own practice. Yes. What made you want your own practice? Uh, I don't know. It's just it. that I knew I wanted to have my own place. But you wanted to be your own boss? Yeah. I wanted to be my own boss. I wanted to build something, create something. Um, and then the more places I worked where I had bosses, the more I was like, yeah, I don't love this, Mm -hmm. but you know what? There was always parts about it that I loved and parts that I didn't love at all. Mm -hmm. And I tried to take with me everything that I loved and made it better and take everything I didn't like and not repeat it. Like in one of my jobs, I had to do home visits on Fridays. And the first one was in um, Key Biscayne. Then the next oh one was by Mall of the Americas. And then and I spent my day seeing three patients but driving all over town. And I was like, that's just not going to happen. Right. I don't want to do this. So we don't do home visits. And the few that we've done is because I lived within blocks of our office mm-hmm. or it was a short-term kind of thing. 
like you creating this thing you know you just you have you always envisioned yes or? i listen and when i was 12 years old i i was babysitting already and i told my parents there's a babysitting course at Miami Children's Hospital. Take me to that because I want to be certified. I got certified as a babysitter and I got certified in CPR. And then I opened my babysitting business and I had business Oh my cards. gosh, so she's just like a different, like, she's Stop. not. Stop. So it's Stop. just your personality. It is my personality. It's, it's <laughs> I had an agenda with all my appointments in there. Not forever. Stop I had, a, I had a pay schedule depending on how many kids you had and how old they were. Too much. That's not too much. That's like, awesome. Like, that's awesome too much. <laughs> like another animal. Like, <laughs> yeah. Okay. A different animal. Different not animal. calling. <laughs> okay. Anyway. Um, did you ever think that you wanted to work with adults? Not in the traditional sense of the adult types of therapies. We have on occasion had adults for voice. And it was interesting to have that difference. But I never felt that I was good enough at it to be fantastic. Or to take more serious cases. But I have worked with several adults who were deaf and that either wanted to work on speech or auditory rehab because they had cochlear implants or those, those kind of things and that I thoroughly enjoyed. Okay. But the traditional adult stuff, I never did. Never did. Interesting. Good to know. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Very Do you guys have I, any other questions? I want to say that I, out of words, like I, I knew snippets about your life. But how you was, became who you are. Yeah, but this is like... A different level, you know, like it should be. I don't know. I should write a book about <gasps> a memoir. Mm. <laughs> were you ever like, because we're all, all over here, and I don't know how to word this really. We're all over here, like, oh my gosh, like, how how did she do all this? Do, I think were you just... ever like in our seats, or you just like were always like, I got this, like, this is like, did you look up to and... someone else? Well, she said Lynn, was that her name? Lynn, Lynn, it's still her name. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I knew what I wanted to do, and I was going to do it. You guys heard the story about my getting into the master's program. Mm, you know, I know the story. It. I know that you got rejected, and then they accepted you. That's a short story. Yeah. <laughs> Basically. At FSU? Yeah. At, at the end of my bachelor's program, I applied to um, FSU, UF, and NOVA. I got rejected from FSU. I got rejected from UF, and NOVA never responded. <laughs> See, guys, she feels the struggle, too. Um, and I... Or she felt the struggle. I came back to FSU, and I said, you know, I think you need to reconsider my application. Um, they didn't have interviews. And I told them, I'm like, you know, I I think you should reconsider. You know, can we do an interview or something? So they, they said, fine. I moved back home, because I just graduated with my bachelor's. I moved back... Well, I came back up to do the interview. And they said, fine, we'll put you on the waiting list at the bottom. <laughs> and I asked him if I could stay because they, they, they let in 10 students in the beginning in the summer to start early. And they they took two clinical courses and two theoretical courses. And I asked him if I could take as a special student the theoretical courses. And they said yes. So I worked full time um, so I could pay those classes because I couldn't get financial aid as a special student. At the end of the summer... I had not moved from the bottom of the wait list. And they said, we're really sorry, but you're not getting into the program. Mm. And I moved back home. To Miami. To Miami and got a job as a, in the schools. And with, like, that was a couple weeks before the fall semester started. And a week before the fall semester started, I got a letter of acceptance to FSU. <sighs> and I moved back. So I moved four times that summer. That's a pain. When you got rejected, yeah, did you feel like... a similar like, story, but... 
when you got rejected, did you feel like that was it? Like, did you feel like uh, uh, defeated? Like, I'm not going to try again? Of course I felt defeated. It was terrible. I, I think we all do. I don't want this. Cried and <laughs> cried and, you know, it was terrible. And I, I came home and then, but I was like, I I think I heard someone say, well, why don't you appeal it? I'm like, appeal it? I, who am I? I'm, I'm, I'm a, you know. I appealed my GRE scores. No, but really, I, w- I wanted to say that um, this is this is good I, I I have no words but I know what I'm feeling is like Inspired. I'm so happy that I, I know someone like you and like <laughs> you know like th- like thinking about what I want for my future and then looking at what you did throughout your uh, past life uh, I feel like I can I can do it and and I can look up to you throughout that process you know you can listen you can do whatever you want you just have to be willing to work hard mm-hmm. yeah and it's a lot of people just want to take the easy road mm-hmm. and, you know, want to just do a piece of it. But you have to work hard. If you want to be good at what you do, if you want to be a specialist, you have to work hard. Mm-hmm. And it's I try not to work hard all the time. I try to play sometimes. You probably know that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so you think that life is important too? Like your personal life is very important too? I've been trying to make my personal life more important recently. Yes. Okay. Because I think you need to have that balance. Life over speech. Life over speech. Life over speech. But yeah. All right. Thank, thank you for giving us the opportunity to talk yes, to you. Yes. Thank like, you so much. I really appreciate it. Guys, she's, we're not paying her. So. No. And then <laughs> thank now. Thank you for wanting. And I think now you've inspired like so many people. I, I hope so. This is this is great. I I'm gonna keep this. I'm gonna I'm gonna listen to this when I go back home and I and I leave and I feel down. Lena is in awe. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you learned a, a finger. Or Eight three from uh, <laughs> <laughs> from Dr. Alfano. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>